Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Far-Fetched Fables, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring Starship Sofa and Tales to Terrify. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are, wherever you're listening from, this is Far-Fetched Fables. Welcome to show number 89. This week we're going to take you to hell and back, in a literary sense, with a pair of infernally entertaining tales, beginning with a piece of flash fiction called An Episode Below by Mel Statton. Mel is a storyteller born and raised in Massachusetts who currently peddles her writing and drawing for a living. She has a degree in studio art and resides in Natick with her partner and three very fluffy pets. You can find her on Twitter as at Melanixies. An episode below previously appeared at Everyday Science Fiction in October 2015. The story is read for you by Heidi Hotz. Heidi is a voiceover artist with a range of personalities who has been in the industry for more than 10 years and has worked on TV commercials, radio, documentaries, audio fiction and narration in general. She resides online at HeidiHotz.com. And now, an episode below by Mel Statton. Her bare feet lightly touched down on the bed of coals, moving forward. They should stop in heated agony, but onwards they moved, despite burning souls, as she counts steps towards blistering burns. How oddly beautiful it is, a lake made of flames, so different from usual cool waters, so different from what she was used to, but no less serene. Her feet moved forward toward the heat, not backwards away from it, and the flames licked the inky blackness all around them. Never had she imagined it would be like this, so oddly calming in all the oblivion. She stands naked for the first time not feeling unnatural in that skin. Walking toward the shoreline, embers growing warmer, she moves closer to the immense heat of the lake, a real beach in reverse, always warmer and never cooler, yet no less relieving, somehow. This is expected. Elements remain the same no matter where they lie. Her skin is still soft, the sensations on it similar, but her reactions different. 
her thoughts drifting instead of jumping the way they used to do. Memories attempt to pry her, but her mind rejects their insistent nudge. She tries to remember the faces of those she left behind, but there is no lurch of mourning in her stomach, and they walk as mere silhouettes in her mind. Her death is even more elusive, erased from her like chalk in the rain or aluminum melting in flames. You weren't expecting to come here, says a voice, a soft, comforting one. Why should anything be soft here? Everywhere she expects harshness and sharp knives caress, but she can't find that. All that she can find is her solitude. I didn't believe in this place. Many don't. The man sits down, legs dangling into the lake flames, gazing up at her with fire reflected in his eyes. Who knows what color they are behind those grinning reflections? Is his identity lost forever to fire? Then I'm here because I didn't believe? He says nothing. His head tilts from side to side, noncommittally. She cups her hands in the flames, so different in effect from water, running over her fingertips, trickling down like tears. Fire winds up, fantastically, drastically into the air, then fades away. It doesn't feel like punishment, somehow. Why would it? We are subjects of war. The commanders on this side need not punish the lot they are given since they did not create the rules. But it frightens some. Many try to suicide dive into this lake, before knowing that's what they've chosen to do forever. How does his voice remain so soft? Everyone is here? Pause. There are segments. Different actions lead to different places, like tracing tree branches to all their separate endings. Trees look like fire in her memory now, but we don't know what happens to them. This place is different. Why? Neglect. They neglect us because we didn't believe in this place either. We have no use in their war. Your crime was merely doubt. No one ever comes to us? A hesitation. No. This man is naked too, but how natural it seems when bathing in flames lips smack over skin, over and over again. She looks up into the blackness above, where there are no stars, no mystery. Would he be disappointed in me for being here? She shivers unnaturally, the curiosity and concern rankling against what she is becoming. How could he be? She looks down into those eyes, suddenly connected. His gaze, like his voice, is gentle and thoughtful. How did he find her here? He stands, tall and imposing with flames as his sky and embers his stars. There is compassion buried deep under the world, where they say that nothing but magma and hell torture exist. He turns. He is leaving. What color are your eyes? She asks, finally, after gazing into them for too long, lost in that sea of iris, sea of fire. Smiling, he says, the same as yours. Taken aback, she finds her reflection before her, deep in the flames, eyes just the same as the ones in the mirror, but wreathed in smoke. His feet are leading him away, soft soles over coals, digging into the deep powder, same as her own. I love you, she says so naturally, as natural as being naked with a stranger in a world engulfed in fire. He turns his head, smiling. You too. How will I find you again? Encounters here are seldom. Random, 
impossible to plan or fathom, but I will see you again. That is always more likely by the shoreline of this eternity than chasing after the one who will be in the clouds. I will see you again, rest assured. I know it as deeply as I know the pattern of your irises. He melts away into black, into the nothing sky. Her centurion slips away from her as quickly as her own identity, a lifetime of indecision, rendering her illusory. Your crime was merely doubt, he had said, and she knows she should feel despair, but it does not come. She turns to face the lake, contemplating but avoiding thoughts of eternal suicide dive into Flame Lake. To spend forever missing her son way up in the blue sky, impossible to reach him, and also missing her solitary flame man, eyes of fire and lips of magma and tar, just like her own, with flesh just like her own, who will wander forever, rehearsing his speech. Perhaps it could be worse. Her fingers dig into the soot and come up dingy as she stands. Purpose guides her feet away, though she does not know if it is her own or a new will replacing what she once was. The answers she craves are external, having nothing to do with the silhouettes retreating from the grooves of her memory. Thoughts float and drift like smoke over lake and shoreline. She has forgotten the color of her eyes. She will never know again. There's a truly unsettling idea at the core of that story. That eternal punishment could simply consist of the total absence of the things we hold dear. Hope, love, memories, identity. Good work, Mel. Our insomnia thanks you. Now on to our main feature for this week, The Miraculous Roadside Attraction by Jack William Finley. Jack William Finley has delivered pizza, stocked various shelves, worked as an actor, a photographer, a stuntman, a short-order cook, washed cars professionally, helped build computer hard drives, driven a forklift, and been a small arms repairman for the U.S. Army. He is a proud graduate of the Borderland Press Writers Boot Camp, and now he writes stories he hopes will entertain people. His fiction is available through Amazon. The Miraculous Roadside Attraction previously appeared in the anthology Rogues in Hell, part of the Heroes in Hell series, and is copyrighted 2011 by Janet Morris. Permission for us to record and release comes from Perseid Press. It is read for you by Eric Luke, the screenwriter of the Joe Dante film Explorers, currently in development as a remake, a prior author for the Ghost and Wonder Woman comic books, and the writer and director of the Not-Quite-Human films for Disney TV. His current project, Interference, is a meta-horror audiobook about an audiobook that kills, and is now available on audible.com. And now, The Miraculous Roadside Attraction, by Jack William Finley. <laughs> Ancient Dora sat rocking in her chair by the window of Dora's Emporium of Wonders and Mysteries and watched the trio of strangers approach. Shunned even in hell, they straggled along the sulfur-yellow trail of Route 666. One was Judas Iscariot, his hanging tree dragging behind him, the rope biting into the flesh of his throat, his thirty pieces of silver hung around his neck. 
making every step an agony. Beside him shuffled Pontius Pilate, his hands forever covered in blood, no water could wash away, his soul forever tormented by what-ifs and might-have-beens, if only he had known, if only he could go back, change things, make things right. The third was Salome, daughter of Herodias, the head of John the Baptist hanging from her neck, endlessly preaching the ways of salvation and redemption eternally denied to the three of them. She traveled with those other two, for they were the only ones who would have her. Dora studied them as they came down the road toward her, oblivious to all the tacky, ratty, tourist crap that littered both sides of the infamous Route 666. Her own shop was perhaps the sturdiest and most welcoming, being made of whitewashed stone, but even it was tired and worn after all these long centuries. The biblical outcasts trudged onward ever closer. She could see by their expressions they were overcome with hopelessness and despair, remarkable even in hell. As Dora watched them, she wondered, for all her sins perhaps her one gift might ease their suffering just a bit, even here. They were already in hell, after all. What was the worst that could happen? She made up her mind to find out, to indulge her famous curiosity one more time. She went to her shop's door and beckoned to the wanderers. Elliot Ness sat at his desk in the Hall of Injustice and tried to ignore the thirteen ghosts who haunted him, begging him for justice. Imagine being a cop in hell. It's actually worse than you'd think, being charged not with keeping the peace, but with maintaining the level of unrest. It was not his job to stop crime. His job was to make sure no one was slacking off, to make sure all souls did their part in keeping his patch of hell as hellish as it was meant to be. In hell, it's the small things that really twist the knife. The tarnished tin badge that read, Cleveland Safety Director, and having to work with that murderous thug, Frank Nitty. How's it going, Kappa? Nitty asked, hulking before his desk. What do you want, Nitty? Nitty smiled. What I want, G-Man, you can't give me. What the boss wants, on the other hand, that might be a different story. A new assignment? Great. What is it? Are we supposed to steal food from the hungry? Nitty shook his head. You know what, Ness? I sometimes think you might not be cut out for this kind of work. You're breaking my heart, scumbag. Now, are you going to tell me what this job is, or keep busting my balls? Nitty shrugged. Little of both, probably, G-Man. The job's a road trip to Route 666. Some kind of disturbance there. The boss wants us to check it out. Make sure it's nothing serious, and if it is serious, put a stop to it. Just the two of us? Ness asked. Nitty shook his head. No. We're taking the Roman legions with us, you pussy. Boss says take some French copper and a Victorian serial killer. Sounds like more than enough backup to me. Ness didn't like it. Sounded like a real pain in the ass, which, he was sure, 
was at least half the point. Shake a leg, tough guy. We got a map and transportation. And time's wasting. Transportation was a hellishly strange automobile. Garish, bright pink with lavender flames. A sleek body with sharp tail fins and a shining silver-fanged grill dripping blood. Ness tried not to think too much about the dripping blood as he slid behind the wheel. Monsieur Eugene Francois Vidoc, the French detective, rode shotgun in front, and Nitty and Jack the Ripper sat in the rear. The Ripper gave Ness a bad feeling. Not quite fear or dread, but something comprised of both. One could never quite see the Ripper distinctly, even when staring straight at him in the rearview mirror. Sitting next to the Ripper, even Nitty was obviously uncomfortable. Ness couldn't shake the impression that any moment the Ripper could be gone, disappearing back to fog-enshrouded streets in New Hell's equivalent of Whitechapel, as if only his shadow sat beside Nitty. Before Ness could find the pink vehicle's ignition switch, its engine came rumbling to life. By itself, the car headed out onto the cracked and barren street. Out of habit, Ness laid his hands on the steering wheel. He hoped the damned thing knew where they were going. The car unerringly found its way back to a major intersection at the edge of New Hell City, a feat none of its occupants could have accomplished so easily, even with the map provided. At the intersection, the car pulled to the curb and spoke, asking them for directions. The passengers exchanged dubious glances as the car growled, I'm a self-driver, not a bloody infernal positioning system, you dolts. Don't you have a fucking map? We do, as a matter of fact, Vidoc replied. Vidoc inserted the map as instructed by the voice, and off went their car again. With the silent nitty and the creepy ripper right behind him, Ness found every mile down Route 666 torturous. The car didn't say another word. The thought of those two killers at his back made the skin on Ness's neck crawl. They'd been on Route 66 for hours, when a blood-red convertible came screaming at them from the far horizon, dodging and swerving. The car was being chased by giant bats. The convertible came screeching to a halt just in front of them. Their car came to a stop alongside the red one. Its crazed driver leaned toward them, a whiskey glass sloshing in one hand and a pistol in the other, cigarette dangling from a holder between his lips. Is this the way to Las Vegas? he shouted. Ness and the others looked at him in stunned silence. Never mind. It's bound to be out here somewhere. The red convertible's driver stomped the gas. Speeding away, he shouted over his shoulder, Watch out for the bats! Bloody front seat drivers, the car grumbled. They ought to send them all to the undertaker. Its engine revved loudly, punctuating the car's displeasure. Then they were off again, down the dusty road under a restless red sky. The silence was deafening, cooped up with three such infamous souls. Ness tried to make small talk. Has anyone else heard about what's happening at Brimstone Arsenal? The explosions? The experimental weapons? Era and his seven enforcers? Of course we heard, Nitty retorted. It's not the sort of thing they can keep secret from people who are plugged in. Talks all over the grapevine. What about it? Ness frowned. It doesn't concern you? Nitty shook his head. Why should it? 
You worry too much, Ness. That was always your problem. You never did know your place, and you still don't. People like us, we do what we're told. The world is run by people of power, people like Capone back on Earth in Chicago. It ain't any different here, except now it's Satan in charge of things. It's pointless to worry. When the time comes, HSM will decide what to do, and somebody like us will just shut up and do it. That's it? That's your life, Nitty? Just shut up and do it? Sure it is. Yours, too. But you're too damn stubborn to know it. You're the most stubborn guy I ever run across, Ness. You're dead and damned to hell, and you still don't get it. You cling to that ridiculous idea that what guys like you and me think, what you and I want, means something. The mighty rule, Ness. Same in New Hell as Chicago, and everywhere in between. You can think all you want, if it makes you feel better, but it ain't gonna change nothing. And it ain't gonna make you feel better. So that's how you deal with all this? Ness gestured with his hands held out wide. You bury your head in the sand? Do whatever they tell you? Nitty laughed. <laughs> I get by. What are you gonna do, Ness? Escape? This ain't no crummy earthside jailhouse. This ain't even Alcatraz. This is the prison to end all prisons. There ain't no getting out. There's only getting by and making do. That's all there is. You don't accept that, you're just making the job of making you miserable that much easier. Ness looked over at Vidoc, who was slumped in his seat, maybe brooding, maybe just being French. It was always hard for him to tell the difference. What do you think, Vidoc? You buy Nitty's fatalistic view? Vidoc shrugged. C'est la mort, my friend. One thing is certain. We will not be leaving this place. It is what it is, and we must make the best of it. They say the Zulus are rising up, trying to take power. Will they succeed? Who knows? Who cares? The important thing to understand is that the only thing worth worrying about is how to make the most of the terrible hand we have been dealt. After life is what it is. You shouldn't worry about what you might have done, or waste your time dreaming of impossible escapes. Worry about what the powerful will or won't do, he shrugged again. Why be any more miserable than necessary? These upstarts and revolutionaries, they think they can fight, buy their way out of their just punishment? They're wrong. We French know better than most the bloody cost of revolution. Wait and see, Monsieur Nest. It will end badly for them, as surely as we are sitting here. It will end badly for them. Just wait and see. Destination ahead, announced their pink car. Route 666 had turned out to be everything you'd expect from an endless tourist trap road in hell. Here was a giant statue of Satan, complete with horns, tail, and a pitchfork, pointing down at the damned. Huge red letters cried out, Hell wants you! And in smaller letters at the bottom it read, and what hell wants, hell gets. The place was littered with advertisements for the worst kind of holiday vacation crap. Come see the seven ancient wonders of hell. See Hitler's brain. And others just as bad. The attraction they were interested in was at the end of a long stretch of garish storefront concessions. In the window of a medium-sized stone building called Dora's Emporium of Wonders and Mysteries, 
was a simple poster board sign written by hand. It said, The one and only Judas Iscariot. Authentic baptisms. All sinners welcome. No one turned away. See Oasis behind Emporium for details. On the road behind Dora's Emporium was a massive, revivalist-style tent city. Hundreds of tents filled with thousands of people waiting to get in to see Judas. What in the hell are they up to back there? Ness muttered as he pulled the car off the road two hundred feet away from the referenced oasis. Predictably, Nitty shook his head, offering no enlightenment, just a wry grimace. Ness resisted the urge to slap the supercilious look from Nitty's face. It would be too costly a gesture. They must work together here. Whatever it is, it sure is popular, Nitty observed. No wonder HSM is curious. The masses will cling to any claim, no matter how ridiculous, that brings them hope in a hopeless situation. Jack the Ripper's first words on this journey startled them all, floating from the back corner of the car like frost on a frigid winter morning. Up until that moment, Ness hadn't been sure that Ripper could speak. We should all be cautious. The Ripper's voice was ice-cold, somber. This many people, if Judas and the others give them hope... They may not appreciate us taking it away. He has a point, does he not? Vidoc said as he sharpened the sword he'd brought. Just in case. I just don't get it, Nitty said. I'm not the master investigator our buddy Ness here is. But, he shook his head, if somebody just saved you from the damnation of hell, wouldn't you be cheerful, relieved? Do any of these people look relieved to you guys? Expectant, sure, maybe even a little hopeful, but... They can't all be waiting, can they? Maybe some of them have been inside already and come back out. But you'd think if some of those are souls who've already had the experience, they'd look a lot less sullen than the ones waiting to have it. Nitty picked at his teeth with a sliver of bone. Just doesn't add up. Something's missing. Ness frowned. I hate to admit it, but you do seem to be right. Where are the redeemed? If any of these people think they might actually have been saved... Be happy and celebrating. Is there a chance I'm well saved and those just aren't here anymore? The French detective asked. Poof! They all stared at each other in silence for a moment. A chill ran down three of their four spines. Ripper simply nodded. No way, Nitty said after a moment. If something like that was going down, Satan would know. For certain he'd know, and as badass as some of us might think we are... He'd send more than just us if people were poofing out of hell. He'd send an army. Shit, he'd send every army. True, replied Vidoc. But this redemption masquerade must be something. If it were nothing, it wouldn't draw such a crowd. Perhaps, Ripper's voice frosted in the air. Perhaps not. Snake oil sells as well as a genuine cure, if the customers are desperate enough. Ness frowned. So, what's going on here? Vidoc, Nitty ordered the Frenchman. Take the Ripper. Check out the crowd in the tents and around them. See what you can find out. Nitty was getting restless. It had been too long since he'd intimidated anyone. The waiting was starting to fray his nerves. All this driving around and thinking about things was for pussies like Ness. Time to get off their asses and do something. Come on, Ness. Let's check the oasis in the store. 
and we'll meet back here and swap stories. And we can build a campfire, toast some marshmallows. He said this last, just to irritate Ness. And Ness knew it. The idea of being in the same hell with Nitty set Ness's teeth on edge. Ness hated being reminded that this sociopath, Nitty, rated no greater punishment than his own. But this was hell, and such torments could not be avoided. So, as much as Ness loathed the gangster, he agreed to check out Dora's unassuming stone shop with Nitty, rather than demand that Nitty go with Vidoc and risk Nitty disobeying him. Come on, partner. Let's go rustle us up some clues like the master detectives we are. Nitty smiled at Ness as the two of them headed across the road toward Dora's. Ness bit his tongue so hard it bled, but followed. The French detective watched them go, then turned to find that the Ripper had slipped away unnoticed into the crowd around the tent encampment. What a strange fellow, Vidoc murmured to himself. Then, securing his sword in its scabbard on his hip, Vidoc went seeking his... Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Infamous companion among the shadows between the tents. As it turned out, the actual baptisms were held in a truly miraculous place, Behind the battered old shop was an honest-to-goodness oasis. Shocking as it was to see natural beauty here, the oasis was as real as could be, with fragrant green plants surrounding a clear blue pool. The place was decidedly unhellish, except that Judas Iscariot and Pontius Pilate stood there amid the watery grove of shady ponds whose fronds rustled in an incongruously cool breeze. Ness and Nitty could hardly believe their eyes when first they saw the oasis. What little they could see of it, that is, amid the crowd of penitent souls. Trying to get to Judas and Pilate now would be wasted effort, but surely the line of pilgrims couldn't last forever. They hoped. Salome was here, reclining in the shade, the rotted head of John the Baptist hanging from her neck on a thong. 
his severed head resting on her stomach. Nitty complained that the gory head spoiled his view of her. The queue of baptismal candidates ran twice around the building. Ness heard a smattering of random chit-chat as he and Nitty cut the line and entered Dora's emporium, but most in line were sullen and silent, as if afraid to hope this was any more than a hoax. Ness felt sorry for them, these hapless souls at the last of all resorts. On earth, people such as these killed themselves, and ended up in hell for it, in a line like this, for it. Chances were a large percentage of these damned were suicides. But from here, there was no escape. How horrible to take your own life to escape suffering, only to find that by doing so, you had made your suffering permanent. Ness might have wept, if he were the weeping sort. Nitty, true to form, scoffed. He gave his head its habitual shake and whispered, What a bunch of saps. Just like before. Want to bet, when they were mortals, life was what it was. Afterlife is what it is. For most of us, hell sucks. But the sooner you learn your place and accept it, the sooner you can make the most of what this existence has to offer schmucks like us. Quite the philosopher. You don't feel one tiny bit sorry for them, do you, Nitty? Nitty lit a black cheroot with a silver flip-top lighter and sucked in smoke that smelled like a rotting corpse, then exhaled and snapped the lighter shut. Why should I? They bring most of this misery on themselves, same as in life. They thought existence owed them something, and they bawled like babies when they didn't get it. Life and hell owe nobody nothing. Not then, not now. You get what you can take. End of story. In hell, we get what we deserve. I can handle it because I never expected better. Unbelievable. It was Ness's turn to shake his head in disgust. You think these people deserve anything like the hell you deserve? After all the people you killed, or ordered killed? They're here, ain't they? Same as me. Serves them right. Probably spend every Sunday bitching and crying, God this and God that. Save me, God, please. Look where I got him. Same place as us. They should have spent more time enjoying themselves. Well, I'll give you one thing, Nitty. At least you're consistent. How could you smoke that crap, even here? Nitty frowned and took the cheroot from his mouth and looked at it. No choice. I hate these damn things they sell down here in the pit. But it ain't gonna kill me. I had a rumor they make these stogies from the ground-up lungs of people who died from smoking. But, he shrugged, if you got the bug, you gotta smoke them. Those are the rules. See, that's what I mean. Right there. I hate these damn things. Nothing at all like what we had back in the world, but some people get the bug. Worms that'll eat you up from the inside out. The only thing you can do to stop them is smoke this crap. So I do. I don't bitch. I don't complain. I just do it. Because those are the rules. That's why you'll never see me in a hopeless-ass line like this with those other saps. Nitty straightened his tie and smiled. Bugs be damned. Ness knew Nitty thought smoking made him look cool, like a movie star. It didn't. It just proved you could teach an ape to do damn near anything. The front of the line was still too far away. They decided to check out the store and hope the line would eventually get shorter. What a dive, Nitty said, looking around the cluttered interior of the stone shop. On display 
were touristy knickknacks near the store's front. Further back, the store was a combination museum and antique shop. Not at all what Ness had expected. But he'd learned long ago that in hell, as on earth, things were not always what they seemed. A small card on a table in the museum antique section read, Browse at your own risk, and a wall sign above it read, Caveat emptor. Redundant. Ness smirked when he saw their selection of holy grails. Would serve humanity right if the real thing were hidden somewhere among all this crap. The greed and avarice of his race, which had amazed him on earth, astounded him even more here. Souls learned so little in life. Here, so many still clung to greed and power. Maybe Niddy was a little bit right in his assessment of the damned. What could anybody want with any of this junk? Ness picked up a moldering book. Whenever he had time, he tried to read. When he was enjoying a book, the language would change to one he couldn't understand. Or he'd read and forget all that he read as soon as he read it. He would not stop trying, though. Even if he knew he would never win in hell at Satan's games, he would keep trying. These tiny rebellions kept perdition bearable for him. Ness had to believe that Nitty could not have been more wrong. As long as you could resist in any way, you were still free, to some extent. Free will hadn't been taken from you. The moment you gave in and played by hell's petty rules, that was the moment you really lost, and H.S.M. Satan won decisively. Ness silently vowed never to give the devil and his goons that satisfaction. The Ripper and the French detective wandered about, watching the strange collection of people gathered in the tent city. There was something not right about them, something off, but Vidoc couldn't determine what. The Ripper kept to his customary shadows, not that anyone seemed to notice him anyway. These souls seemed lost in a way that was unusual, even for hell, milling about with no discernible goal. They talked little. Most had been here for centuries or longer and there was nothing left to say that they'd not said a thousand times. Vidoc felt sorry for them, and wondered if he might someday become one of them, the mindless wandering dead, hardly more than zombies. Vidoc couldn't remember how long he'd been in hell, but he could still vaguely recall snippets of his past. He'd had a distinguished mortal life, adventurer, thief, policeman, and so much more. Once, no more. Perhaps it would be better to forget everything, to have no memory of the past to compare to this. Yes, perhaps these daft damned were the lucky ones. But if so, why were they here, in search of a redemption and rescue that surely would never come? The crowd was thinning now, outside Dora's emporium. Ness and Nitty could keep track of them through the shop's wavy glass window. From their vantage point inside the store, he and Nitty could also see the would-be holy men, Iscariot and Pilate, and their female companion. The rotting head swung at her belly, glaring at all who ogled her. Was she pretty, even beautiful, beneath her tattered veils? You couldn't tell. All you could clearly see was the Baptist's head. Even from this distance, Ness fancied he could look deep into John's mournful eyes and wondered if forgiveness was possible in hell. 
Then something caught Nessa's attention in the depths of the shop, a jar in a far, dark corner tucked away. He wandered toward it, trying not to be noticed by the pilgrims browsing here before making their way to the solemn ceremony. He reached the huge jar. It was a Greek pithos, with no particular features unmarked as to contents or asking price. The lid of the jar was sealed with wax and metal that might have been melted lead. Why would this jar draw him to it, unless the pithos was somehow a piece of this puzzle? Ness lingered there for a moment, but the jar gave up no secrets, if it had any. He could never remember anything he read in hell, but the jar was fascinating him for no reason. Why? He couldn't say. He abandoned his meager hope of recollecting the significance of this jar, or any such jar, and, frustrated, wandered back to join Nitty. He figured the missing information was probably something he'd read in a book, the memory of which Satan had stolen from his mind. He found Nitty looking through a collection of surgical instruments and straight razors. In some sinister past, perhaps they had drawn the blood of innocent victims. Nitty was raptly reading the stories from the cards that lay before each one. Having fun? Ness asked. I was thinking of picking up a gift for our shadowy friend. Nitty held up a set of silver razors that said they had once been the property of a Fleet Street barber named B. Barker. What do you think? If you're buying the Ripper gifts, perhaps you should ask him for a date. I'm sure the two of you have lots in common. Nay, no thanks. He doesn't seem nearly as fun to be around as you, Ness. You have charm. Takes a lot to give me the willies, especially here, but our friend the Ripper does. My heart bleeds for you both. Come on, the line is getting shorter, and I think maybe they're about to take a break. The final baptisms of the afternoon were coming to a close when Ness and Nitty made it back to the oasis behind the shop. They watched as Judas, waist-deep in the pool of the oasis, lowered one of the damned below the water's surface and raised her up again. The smile on the girl's face as she rose from the water was unmistakable. She actually believed she had been saved. The last of today's newly baptized souls were wandering back to the tent city, a look of not-quite-bliss on their faces, something Ness couldn't place, a bit like contentment, but that wasn't it either. Ness cursed his failing memory, and along with Nitty approached the targets of their inquiry. Nitty looked at Salome and held up a gold Diablo. "'How about a dance, sugar?' the head of John the Baptist snarled at him and spat. Nitty laughed. "'You <laughs> can't blame a guy for trying.' "'I wouldn't count on being blameless in hell if I were you,' Ness warned Nitty. Out of habit, Ness flashed his badge, tarnished and cracked. "'My name is Ness. This is Frank Nitty.' "'His partner,' Nitty chimed in. Ness ground his teeth and took a deep, slow breath before he continued. "'Yes, uh, my partner of I have been asked to take a closer look at what you do here. We work for someone very high up who wants to know what this is about.' Before he comes to visit, Judas nodded. Very well, Mr. Ness. We were just taking our afternoon break. Come and walk with us, and we will try to answer all H.S.M.'s questions. 
Ness tried to hide his irritation at being so easily identified as the devil's agent, but it wasn't much use. Worry not, Mr. Ness, Pilot told him. We don't care who sent you or why. We will answer your questions. We have nothing to hide. The three proselytizers, Judas, Salome, and Pilate, gathered their meager belongings. Nitty and Ness followed them to a small campsite set a few yards back from the pool of the oasis in the shade of a clump of palm trees. Forgive the Spartan nature of our hospitality, gentlemen. We have become increasingly humble in this place. For the second time since their arrival, a cool breeze swept past them from the oasis, and Ness nearly fainted. This truly was miraculous. Well, I'll be damned again, Nitty laughed. You put on quite a show. It is not a show, as you put it, Mr. Nitty. We give the damned what they need. What they need is relief. And so, Judas gestured his hand spread wide, relief they shall have. Nitty rubbed the back of his neck. Well, I don't know how you did it, but I'll tell you what, I'm sure impressed. Impressed enough to go away and leave us in peace, to continue our work here. Sorry, not that impressed. You come a long way since Gethsemane and betraying the Savior. Nitty, that's not what you're here for, Ness reprimanded him, but it was too late. Screw that. Nitty grumbled and moved toward Judas. Ness tried and failed to hold Nitty back. I want to know. I want to know why this scumbag sold out the world for a handful of silver. It's all right, Mr. Ness. Let him go. It's not as if he's the first to ask that question. He deserves an answer. I told you before, we are here to give people what they need. It would seem this is what... Mr. Nitty needs. Judas sighed and made a palms-up gesture of supplication. My pride was my undoing, Mr. Nitty. Pride. The prince of lies came to me and stole my soul with a truth more deadly than any lie in all of history. He told me I had a great part to play in the Savior's mission. He told me I would be remembered head and shoulders above all other apostles. He told me the whole world would know and remember my name unto the ends of the earth. Judas smiled a bitter smile. And he was right. Look, Ness interrupted, we really aren't here to interfere with your work, no matter what you think. We just want to understand what's going on here, so we can report back to our boss. It's him you should be worried about, not us. We're simply here to investigate. And uh, will this boss of yours, whom we know all too well, send an army to destroy us once he hears what we're doing? Pilate paced nervously, as if this were his only chance to make his peace with heaven, and he couldn't afford to let it slip away. What makes you think it'll take an army to shut this place down? Nitty growled. What makes you think I can't put an end to this circus right here and now, if that's what the boss wants done? Nitty turned. His coat swirled, and from within he drew an M3 knockoff, a forty-five caliber submachine gun, courtesy of Brimstone Arsenal, special delivery. 
Nitty posed like the very model of a movie-land gangster, waiting for everyone to be impressed. No one was. Put it back in your pants, tough guy, Ness advised. There's no need trying so hard to impress the lady just yet. We were sent to investigate. So maybe we could ask a couple of questions before you go shooting your wad prematurely. Nitty lowered the gun. Tough crowd. You know, that quick draw isn't as easy as it looks. Not everybody can do that sort of thing. Thou art a bold and unyielding soul, Mr. Nitty, Salome said. Would that we had met when I might have done something about it. You never know, sweetheart. I've got pull in the right places. If I do an especially good job on this gig, maybe you and I could split the bonus. I doubt that, but thank you for thinking of me. Perhaps we should all remember why we are here, Judas said, frowning at Salome. Sorry, Jude, said the stepdaughter of Herod Antipater, Ethnarch of Judea. Old habits die hard, even in hell. This whole concept of redemption is yet new to me. Redemption? Ness blurted. You can't possibly be serious. Of course we are serious, Pilate replied. You think we underestimate the risk we run here? You think we would do something so sure to antagonize his satanic majesty without hope of being reconciled with the one true God? Thunder roared from the flushed sky above. Nitty shook his head, his habitual gesture. I don't know what the hell you think you're doing, Pops, but I got news. It's hell! Do not pass go! Do not collect two hundred Diablos! You don't get no get-out-of-hell-free card! You're here! That's it! Time to shut up and make the best of it! And this here dog-and-pony show, Nitty waggled his finger, does not qualify. This stunt will get you roasted like nobody's business. So just drop the act. Make this easy on all of us. Act? You fail to understand, Mr. Nitty, said Judas Iscariot. I assure you that we are all quite sincere in our belief that these rites will bring us back into heaven's favor. We are not like you. Yes, we made mistakes, but of a very different kind than those made by souls like you, who truly embraced iniquity. We are the victims of circumstances not of our own making. We were called upon to play a very important part in the life and death of our Messiah. And because we did not fully understand our roles in those momentous events, we fell from grace. We have renewed hope that we and many like us can and will be reconciled with the one true God. Thunder cracked again, somewhere under the baleful light of paradise. Thunder always cracked when the names of higher powers were invoked in the netherworlds. Judas's words struck a note in Ness's mind, a tinkly little bell he could barely hear, but it was there, somewhere, in the darkness of forgetfulness that Satan had cast over him. One of the words Judas had used, but which one? Nitty laughed and shook his head once again. You people are the biggest saps of them all. <laughs> I mean, really. Are you kidding? No, said Salome, her voice sweet and sensual. We are not kidding, Mr. Nitty. We believe, and we have hope, 
because, well, what else is there? This is a waste of time, Ness, said Nitty. Just let me plug these idiots, would you? Nitty would have blown them all away and been done with it, but he didn't want to risk getting crosswise with the big boss. With Ness on his side, the two of them would maybe sell the boss on killing these folks. As much as Nitty wanted to plug the poor deluded saps and blow this pop stand, he wasn't willing to take all the responsibility on his own head. What damned good would it do, Nitty? It's hell. You can't actually kill them. They don't stay dead, remember? You only make enemies. Let's head back to the car and see what Vidoc and Jack have learned. I'm only a clue or two away from figuring things out. I know I am. A little more information, and we can finish this once and for all. Then we can go home, tell HSM it's over. Nobody needs these three recycling through the Undertaker's shop to come back and pull this same shit again. We kill them, we lose control of them. Fine, said Nitty. We'll do it your way now, lawman. But if I don't get to shoot something soon... I'm going to be in a real foul mood. All this peace and love chit-chat is giving me a real pain in the ass. I wish you well on your journey, my friends, intoned Judas Iscariot. Perhaps you should think long and hard about what you truly want. If you find that our purposes are not so different after all, we will accommodate you and your group with a special baptism ceremony. Judas said this with such obvious sincerity it made Ness wonder. They really do believe. They really do have hope. But why? Pilate wasn't about to leave it at that. I was blind to the truth, Pilate told them. I was blind. And because of that, now I am here. I have a second chance. And so do you. There is only one truth. Only one true Messiah. Embrace him now before it is too late, or you will regret your mistake for all eternity. Thunder pealed, and paradise was shrouded by scudding blood-red clouds. Nitty pushed his felt hat back on his head and loosened his tie. Come on, Ness, let's get out of here before I lose what's left of my patience. Be safe, Salome said, and may he watch over you. This time, thunder roared, so that infernity shook underfoot. Nitty raised his gun and let it glide along the lot of them. Pow, 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 he muttered to himself, his bone toothpick between his teeth. I don't think the future is going to be kind to them, he muttered. Ness nodded sadly. I hate to admit it, Nitty, but you're probably right about that. They walked back to the car in silence. Nitty thought of killing and going home. Ness brooded on words and stories from long, long ago, and something, something he should have remembered. One word, dancing at the edge of his memory, a word and a jar, and something about all the ills of the world. But what was it? Vidoc and the Ripper were waiting in the pink sedan when they got back. Find anything interesting? Vidoc asked. They have an oasis behind that dump, Nitty told him. How's that for interesting? An oasis? Vidoc looked incredulous. Yeah, you know, palm trees, water, shit like that. 
Vidoc frowned. I know what an oasis is. I just find it hard to imagine one in hell. Well, you're in luck, Froggy, because if you just take a gander over yonder to the back of that little stone shop, you'll see one bright as day. You won't have to imagine. How's that for simple? Vidoc shook his head and looked at Ness. He really is a vile man, isn't he? Yes, Ness nodded. Yes, he is. Nitty rocked his hat back and forth on his head and spat at the ground. Well, I sure hope you found more than we did, because apart from the oasis, we didn't find shit. Bells chimed louder in Ness's head. What did you say? Nitty laughed. What? You deaf all of a sudden? You were there. Never mind. I was thinking out loud. Ness silenced Nitty. Vidoc, what, if anything, did you find? It is the strangest thing, really, Vidoc reported. What we discovered while watching the line makes no sense at all. Souls go through the baptism, come out with this odd look of peace on their faces, and return to the tents. Pretty soon we realized we were seeing many of the same souls more than once. As if they went in, were baptized, left, forgot, came back, and did the whole thing all over again. Baffling! I'm not so sure about the baffling part, Ness replied. I might know what's going on here. And it has nothing to do with these crazy baptisms. Judas, Pilate, Salome, are victims, like all these other saps, as Nitty puts it. But how is this possible? Vidoc asked. The Ripper drifted closer, as if even he sensed the answer to this question might be important. Come with me. I need to check something. Ness led them to the front of the shop. Ness stood there for a moment, staring at the sign, Dora's Emporium of Wonder and Mysteries. Using some crates from the side of the building, he managed to climb up to the sign, and using the edge of his badge, managed to scrape the dirt and debris from the rest of the sign until they could plainly read Pandora's Emporium of Wonder and Mysteries. Any of you ever heard a story about a lady named Pandora? Sure. <laughs> Didn't she have a magic box or something? Nitty smiled lasciviously and laughed. Yes, she did. Only it wasn't really a box. Box is a mistranslation, Ness informed them. It was a jar, a big Greek pottery jar. Is that important? The Ripper asked in his chill voice. Means we can go home. Or at least back to New Hell. That important enough for you? Ness smiled. His three companions looked confused. Come with me. Ness motioned them to follow and led them into the shop. Once inside the stone building, Nitty and Ness dragged its bespectacled proprietress to the corner with the Greek pithos. How much for the big jar? It's not for sale, the shopkeeper insisted. Good, Nitty replied. That means it's free. No, please, you can't take it, cried the aristocratic old dead soul. Nitty whipped his machine gun out from under his coat, and this time at least the shopkeeper was impressed. I don't think you understand the situation, old lady, so let me explain. It's not a matter of, are we taking it? It's a matter of how big a mess we leave behind. Now... I've been itching to shoot something for this whole damn day. So you getting in my way right now would be the nicest thing anybody's done for me in weeks. I'm sorry, ma'am, Ness told her, and he was. It's better for you if we take it. 
will either be us or someone else, he gestured at Nitty. As bad as he is, the next people who come here will be a whole lot worse. Tears rolled down the old soul's face. Do you think they will punish me? she asked. You know what it is, don't you? guessed Ness. I meant no harm. I exposed the Jew and the Roman to its contents when they first arrived. I thought, why not? What's so wrong about having hope, even in hell? Ness sighed heavily. I have a feeling that you're about to find out. Then the four of them wrestled the big Greek jar, which had once contained all the evils of the world, but now contained only hope out to their car, and put it in the trunk. Ness stood by the pink fins of their car and stared back at the remains of the miraculous roadside attraction. Without the jar, the oasis and everything that came with it was gone in a flash. Salome stood in the dusty road, staring after them, bewildered and accusing. But it was the eyes of Judas and Pilate which would burn in his mind forever. Never in his life or afterlife had Ness encountered such utter emptiness. Of all the things Ness had done in hell, taking the jar filled with hope away from these desperate souls was the worst. It didn't matter that someone else would have done it anyway. He had had a choice, and he had chosen to do what he was told. And Elliot Ness would never again be the same soul who came to this place. He wondered what his own eyes looked like, and tried not to dwell on who had lost more, Judas, Pilate, or himself. Cheer up, Ness. You did a good job, Nitty told him. You never know. The boss might be feeling generous, since you plucked this thorn out of his paw so nice and neat. Ness looked at the pithos in the trunk of the car. A tear rolled from his eye. Well, at least I know that I belong here now. He closed the trunk. Today, I've earned my place in hell. And there you have it, a nice bit of Bangsian fantasy and the ideal companion piece to The Five People You Meet in Heaven. Make of that what you will. Please remember that Farfetched Fables operates under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 license, which means you can download the content and share it all you like, but you can't change it and you can't sell it. And you'll be sure to give credit where credit is due. All other copyright remains that of the author's. Violators will be consigned to the Tenth Circle of Hell. There's a reason why Dante never mentioned that one. You don't even want to know. If you'd like to share your thoughts on this or any of our stories, you can leave your comments on the Triple F website, our Facebook page, or on Twitter. I'm off to try on my new boots. Remember those boots I got last week? Hmm, I'm going to go and try them on. Let's see if I can wade through brimstone in them. Bye now. <laughs> This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. 
You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.